least some sleep between last night and this morning. I did, and I'm so thankful for the the rest that the Lord provided, and I am astonished at the beauty of this morning. (laughs) After all of that rain, I drove down from Louisville, Kentucky yesterday morning, and it was a driving rain, and the semi-trucks, you know, and the splashing, and I was just like, I can't see anything, Lord, I hope you can. (laughs) So I'm thankful to have made it here safely, all by his grace. And then this morning, the calm after the storm, it is beautiful. Those mountains, I don't know how you get anything done when you could just sit and look at those mountains. You are blessed to live here. I know you know that. All right, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, what a joy it is to think that you are our friend and that we can bring everything to you in prayer. And Lord, there are times when we forfeit our peace and bear anxieties that we do not need to because we can lift them up to you who has all wisdom and all power and who loves us so deeply. Lord, we are overwhelmed at your grace and kindness to us. We thank you for the opportunity we have to think together this morning about our words to each other. Oh, Lord, please use your word Use your spirit and help us all to grow in gracious communication with each other. Lord, we we are looking to you to work, so please do so. Our hope is in you. We pray these things in the name of our risen and reigning Savior and King Jesus. Amen. Well, we women love to talk. At least most of us do. We love to communicate and to share and to cry and laugh together. I love it when I see two women in a coffee shop just talking deeply, connecting the nods of understanding and the the touch of the hand and the the laughter and the tears. It's just really, really sweet to connect in that way. I like it even more when I'm one of those women. I just, I love it, you know. Coffee time with, with women, that's just one of our joys. Because we talk a lot, I assume that we have all had the experience of saying the wrong thing. And we have probably all had the experience of others saying the wrong thing to us. We have all felt unheard, overlooked, marginalized, misunderstood. Our words with each other matter so much. And by God's grace, I assume we have all had that experience of being heard and being encouraged and being directed to put our hope in the Lord and to trust him yet again and again. So this gift of communication with each other is a, is a wonderful gift the Lord has given us and it's one worth thinking about. So as we begin, let me af- offer up a couple of caveats. When we're talking about something as practical as our conversation with each other, it's kind of easy to fall into a little bit of a judgmental attitude think, well, I hope she gets this. I hope she's listening. Something like, I'm not pointing at anybody. I just wait. (laughs) The truth is we all need to grow in this area. It's this really vital and important and an area in which we are all tempted to struggle, as we'll be talking about. And as Christians, and for those of you who are members of this church or another church, We need to remember that God in his sovereign wisdom has put us together with different people. 
And we are going to be around women who talk too much and women who interrupt and women who are self-absorbed and all of those things. And sometimes we are those women. But the Lord knows exactly who he has put together to be family. And he is knitting us together as sisters in Christ. And then let's remember the gospel that Christ died for our sins, including our sins of the mouth. So if you feel a little bit of conviction as we talk through these things, confess your sin and rejoice that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has grace for our words and new mercies every morning. All right, we're going to look at what God's word says about our words. There's a lot. Obviously, we're going to take just a little snapshot. But let's begin by assessing the problem. We could begin by talking about the woes of our modern society, and there are a lot. (laughs) There are all kinds of things we could say about our poor patterns of communication. It is apparent that we live in a more self-focused society, and we have seen a demise of common courtesy and civility. It's gotten to the point where I'm surprised if anyone holds the door open for me or if anyone says thank you or please. I mean, that that just, it probably happens more here in Tennessee because what I'm hearing is this is kind of the promised land. So, (laughs) I know you're all tempting me. I'm going to go home and talk to Bruce. So, We could talk about the influence of the internet and just the reduction of face-to-face communication. I mean, didn't we feel that, especially during COVID, during those early days? You know, first there was the convenience of email and then the greater convenience of texting and now all of these apps that I don't even know what they are, but they all allow us to communicate in our own way, at our own time, in whatever way we choose, and to be very selective I still remember, this is an indication of how old I am, I remember when caller ID was a new thing, and we got that. And the power (laughs) of knowing who's calling before you answer the phone and thinking, do I want to talk to that person or not? Hmm. That was intoxicating, wasn't it? It was just like, oh my goodness. Our society has become increasingly self-promoting, and that influences us more than we realize. It's just in the air that we breathe. And I think kind of correspondingly, increasingly less gracious, less gracious. So we as Christian women need to be honest about the state of what's going on around us and how it influences us. It truly is just in the air that we breathe. But with all of these changes, one thing hasn't changed, and that's our hearts. They are no more prone to self-absorption or to pride or lack of graciousness than than they have been throughout the ages. It's just we have more opportunities to give in to those temptations. And that's why we need to be careful and prayerful and thoughtful about our words. The Bible teaches us we're all born with a sinful human nature, fully depraved, By God's grace, those of us who are trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, we are being renewed and transformed more into his likeness from one degree of glory to another, as we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we are in a battle with our sin nature. 
We have all sinned with our words, as we read in James 3. We all stumble in many ways. And the root of much of our sin is our pride. We are all oriented to be focused on ourselves. And that comes out in our words. So let's look at God's word and see some of what he has instructed us about our words. There is a lot in God's word about our words. It's something that matters a lot to him. But I've pulled out three principles that I want us to focus on. Number one, our speech is for the glory of God. Or our speech should be for the glory of God. As Christians, our primary goal is to glorify God, to live for his glory. This involves every part of our lives, including our speech. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, I think that means any word that comes out of our mouth, do all to the glory of God. And I think we need to begin here because our speech is one of those areas where the temptation to use our words for the glory of me is so big, right? It's so tempting to use our words to shade them in a way, to kind of um, just say the certain thing in a certain way that will make me look good. It's a huge temptation that we all face. But my words, your words, are to point to God's glory, not our own glory. Let's read from Colossians 3, one of my very favorite chapters. Colossians 3, 16 and 17, we read this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Just in these two verses, we can learn so much about the importance of our speech. First, we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Think about those words. This isn't let the word of Christ fly through your brain for about two minutes in the, in the morning. Dwell Richly, those are meaty, meaningful words, aren't they? Let the word of Christ dwell richly. We need to let the word soak into our souls. We need to slow down. That's probably the one thing my husband says to me more than anything. Well, maybe I love you, but he does say to me, slow down, Jody, because I tend to do everything fast and wrong. <laughs> All right, that was a parenthesis, sorry. We need to slow down and let the word of Christ dwell richly. Read and think and meditate and memorize and study. We want the word of Christ to be dwelling deeply in our minds and in our hearts that that affects the words that come out of our mouths. Our, and then our lives are to be so filled with the word of Christ that... Our speech teaches and admonishes others in wisdom. Where do we get wisdom? From the Lord who has it all. And then notice our conversation is to be filled with thanksgiving. Filled with thanksgiving. This is transformative work that the Lord does through his word and through his spirit. So let's be women of the word, letting it dwell richly in us. We read in Matthew that we will give an account for every word. Let's read Matthew 12, 36 and 37. 
I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, these are sobering words for a couple of reasons. We tend to take our words and conversations kind of lightly, just jabbering on and on and on, right? But it is apparent that God does not think of our words that way. But we also need to think gospel truth here, whole Bible truth. Our words do not save us. But if we are in Christ, our words will be being transformed. So our words, our conversation is not the root of our salvation, but it is a, an evident fruit of our salvation. One of my um, study Bible notes says, a, pers- a person's inner spiritual condition becomes clear in his or her speech. So our inner spiritual condition becomes clear in our speech. Our words are evidence of what God is doing in our hearts. We also need to remember that God is God and we are not. We talked last night about the character of Job. And after he had gone through such profound suffering and God had graciously given him a glimpse of his glory, Job responds in this way, Job 40, verse 4, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Ladies, sometimes it is appropriate for us to lay our hands on our mouths. We don't need to express everything that we think. I I love this because Job saw more clearly who the Lord was, the utter perfection of his character, the power of his creation. And thus he saw more clearly his rightful place as creation, as subject, as submissive servant. So we need to think often about our relationship with the Lord. He is our creator. He is our king. He is our Lord. He is our father. And that should affect the way that we speak. There are times to lay our hands on our mouths. A similar verse is found in Ecclesiastes 5.2, where we read, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For... God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let your words be few. Just remembering, God is God. I am not. It's not about me. It's about God and his glory. We need to remember who God is. We need to be filled up with truth about God that then shapes the way we live and the way we speak. And as we grow in our knowledge of God, of his sovereignty and his self-sufficiency and his wisdom and power and love that we looked at last night, his righteousness, his justice, and on and on, we will have a more accurately humble view of ourselves. It's this inverse proportion, isn't it? As we grow in knowing more about the glory of God and he just is estimated more highly, we, we give more weight to the glory of God and then we can think about ourselves less and less and less. Our knowledge of God and our relationship with him directly impacts our communication with each other. Second principle, our speech is for the edification of others, for the edification of others. Edification means to build up or increase the faith, to instruct or benefit, especially morally, to uplift 
Our key passage is found in Ephesians 4. You know, Ephesians, similar to Colossians that Yvonne read from earlier. One of Paul's letters reminding new believers of who they are in Christ and therefore how they should live, including how they should speak. A major theme in Ephesians is reconciliation. First, the reconciliation of all creatures to of all creation to Christ, and then the reconciliation of people from all nations to each other in the church. So the first half of the book focuses on this rich doctrine and the second half on application. Let's read from Ephesians 4, our kind of our key passage for this session, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So just as we heard from Colossians previously, because we are forgiven in Christ, this should infect and affect our words and the way that we communicate with each other. There's so much in this passage that informs the way that we speak, how we can edify others. We're instructed to tell the truth. We We are one in Christ. We are not to sin in our anger. Our words are not to be corrupting which means debased, infected, tainted, to lower morally, but they are to build up as opposed to tearing down, which is so easy to do with our words, isn't it? We women can use our words like a weapon to tear down. But our words are to build up. They are to fit the occasion, to be appropriate. They are to give grace. We are not to slander others, but be kind and forgiving And we are to guard our hearts against bitterness and sinful anger. There's so much wisdom here. It's a good passage to memorize. But we can sum it up in in verse 29. Edifying speech builds up others and gives grace. Now we'll talk more about this in a minute. But let me mention briefly a couple of ways in which we do not edify others that I think are kind of common to us. These are found in Philippians. In Philippians 2, 3 to 5, we read, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Oh, think about your words. Think about your conversation. How much of it stems from a sense of rivalry, a sense of trying to outdo someone else, a sense of conceit, of making much of yourself? These are questions we need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what's going on in our hearts. 
How much, how often am I thinking about my interest and how much of my conversation expresses a sincere interest in others? Is my primary goal to see God glorified and to build others up in their faith? Or am I trying to make myself look good, uh, to put myself on top, to outdo others? A number of years ago, Jared Wilson wrote an article on this, and he said, when we orient ourselves around the finished work of Christ, we are compelled to bear true witness about God. Look how wonderful and satisfying he is. And when we find Christ supremely valuable and fulfilling, the desire to cut our neighbor down disappears. Isn't that lovely? Find Christ satisfying and compelling, and then we don't have to be in rivalry with each other. Another verse from Philippians says, uh, Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Hmm. This imperative alone might do something to cut down on our conversation, wouldn't it? We need to think carefully about our grumbling and how it influences others to develop a grumbling spirit. Grumbling and complaining do not build others up. They are, they are highly contagious. We'll talk more about complaining in our session this afternoon, but I just wanted you to begin thinking about your words. We see how important it is that the Lord, to the Lord that we use this gift of speech in ways that edify, that encourage, that give grace. And then thirdly, our speech is for our sanctification. That may sound a little weird, but just hang in there with me. I want to think a bit about the connection between our heart and our mouth. Our words give us an accurate picture of what's going on in our hearts. They kind of serve as a window into what's going on. Let's look at a few passages that help us think about this connection. Luke 6:45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We see right here in this key text this divergence of our hearts that can be expressed in our words. The good treasure of the heart produces good, the evil treasure of the heart produces evil. This is a theme that we see in a number of places throughout scripture. Think about the book of Proverbs, so much helpful teaching and instruction on our words. And a number of these Proverbs teach us that our speech demonstrates what's going on in our hearts. And so many of them offer a contrast and either this or that. Listen to these verses and think about the either orness of our speech. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. What a vivid picture. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Yikes. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And then Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. It's this graphic picture, isn't it? Death or life. Wounding or healing, cutting down or building up, depleting or nourishing, 
draining or filling the power of our words as we interact with each other cannot be overstated. And our words reveal our hearts. Let's turn to James 3, where we know a lot of, a lot of glorious teaching about our speech. James 3, we'll read verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide our whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, they are so, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, excuse me. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Well, there's a lot about our speech here. Let's mention just a couple of things. In the first paragraph, James compares the tongue to two things, a bit in a horse's mouth, the rudder of a ship, both of them very small things that control very large things. Our tongues are so small, but they are so powerful. And then in the second paragraph, James compares the power of the tongue to a forest fire, which starts small and then can quickly burn out of control. And haven't we all been there? A careless word spoken and whew, there goes the forest fire. But notice in verses 8 to 10, more of this either-or-ness about our words. We can bless, we can curse from the same mouth. These things ought not to be so. Isn't it clear that we need the Lord to sanctify our hearts so that our words come out united, all of a piece, more Christ-like, more in line with God's values and his wisdom? We are completely dependent upon God to do this work that only he could do to change our hearts and to turn us from evil to good, to take us from lost to dead sinners and restore us increasingly to Christ-likeness. And this is what he is committed to do by his grace. Paul Tripp in his book, War of Words, says this, God is at work taking people who instinctively speak for themselves and transforming them into people who effectively speak for him. We instinctively speak for ourselves, and God is changing us to effectively speak for him. 
And don't we long to be women who effectively speak for him? Don't we long for him to do this work in our lives? So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and God is transforming our hearts by his grace. But I also think there's a little bit of a cyclical relationship here. I just want to mention this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But what comes out of our mouths, especially over and over and over, affects our hearts, right? Suppose Yvonne said something to me that really bothered me, really offended me. And so I started talking to you and you and you. Do you know what Yvonne said? Can you believe this? And the more I repeat it, of course, it's having an influence on others. But the more that I say it, it makes my heart colder and and harder toward Yvonne, doesn't it? When we repeat things over and over. So what we say and repeat affects our hearts. How much better to keep my mouth shut and to just entrust that hurt to the Lord. Say, I know Yvonne. I know her heart. She probably didn't mean it. I don't need to talk to anyone else about it. Lord, just help me to, to overlook it and forbear it and forget it. We need to guard our mouths because what we say over and over affects our hearts. I would encourage you that we need to be honest about our words. And I would encourage you to talk to someone who knows you well and be willing to ask for some input. Be willing to ask questions such as, do I talk too much? Do you feel that I listen to you well? Do you feel encouraged to follow the Lord after we talk? Do you feel discouraged? Do you feel a sense of rivalry or competition between us? How can I improve? How we need God's spirit to help us uncover what's going on in our hearts. But we can help each other as sisters in Christ. All right, let's pull these things together and we'll talk about six things, six six ways that we want to grow, that we need to grow, six things to cultivate as we think about growing in gracious communication. Number one, we want to cultivate prayerfulness, prayerfulness. As I just said, God is the one who is working in our hearts to transform us and make us more like Christ. He's changing the way we interact with people. So pray for his help to be humble and godly with our speech. Pray before, during, and after conversations with people. As in all of life, we are completely dependent upon God to work in us. I mean, if we need him for life and breath and all things, we need him for help with our speech. And as we examine our hearts and see patterns of less than edifying conversation, we need to ask God to forgive us and change us. We need to pray regularly for God to control the words that come out of our mouths. Also, we can pray intentionally when we know there is a challenging situation or conversation coming up. The truth is we talk every day. So we need to pray about our words every day. We need God's help every day. And then just a topic kind of related is praying for others. You know, when we're talking to each other, frequently a need will arise. Our friend, our friend is burdened about something. There's something going on. And it's easy to say, I will pray for you and then walk away. And then it's easy to forget. But how much better How much kinder to stop in the moment, if you can, and to pray with your friend 
It will minister to her. It will encourage her that you're really hearing her. And then it will help you remember to pray again. I would encourage you to have some way of keeping track of prayer requests. You know, on a Sunday morning, you may hear so many different things that you want to pray about. Have a way of recording those so you can go home and pray about those through the week. There is very little that is as encouraging to have someone come back to you the next Sunday and say, how was that doctor's appointment or how did that interview go? They heard, they remembered, and they prayed. That is sweet encouragement. And it just knits your hearts together as sisters in Christ. So let's pray about our conversations, pray during our conversations, pray afterwards. Let's remember each other's prayer requests. Number two, cultivate listening skills. Cultivate listening skills. Ask follow-up questions instead of immediately transitioning the conversation to you. Do you kind of go, ouch, at that? Mm -hmm. Communicate genuine interest in what someone is saying. The gracious conversationalist seeks to care about other people and learn from them, not pridefully dominate a conversation. I am convinced that asking good questions is a skill that can be learned. Find someone who is good at it and watch them and learn from their example. And don't assume that quieter people don't have anything to say. Often they just can't talk around the more talkative people. So we need to learn to ask questions to invite their conversation. One of my favorite memories from childhood was um, growing up in our home, my parents were very hospitable. We had people in our home a lot. And at the dining room table on a Sunday dinner, at this end, my mo- mother would be serving up delicious food. And I think of it, at this end, my father would be serving up delicious conversation, tasty conversation. He was so good at asking questions at including everybody, noticing the quieter person, drawing them out, making connections. He was so good at it. And I just loved, loved watching that. In James 1.19, we read, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And Proverbs 18.13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. We want to be better listeners. The average person speaks between 100 and 150 words a minute, and the average person can think up to 600 words a minute. That's a big discrepancy when you think about it. So when someone is talking to you, your brain is going, oh, no, no. you know, well, I can't wait till she's done because I want to tell her this, or, oh, I could top that story, whatever it is. We have to work really, really hard to listen Well, it's easy to be distracted. It's hard work to focus. We need to think about our nonverbal communication. What are we communicating by the way we pay attention, by our facial expression, body posture, hand gestures, especially eye contact? That's a huge way of communicating to someone that you're listening to them. You, You probably all know that feeling of talking to someone. You're sharing something with them. And they're looking over your shoulder at something that's going on back, you know, and you're kind of like, hmm, what's happening back here? Oh, giving someone your focused attention, eye contact, is a tremendous gift. It makes you feel like you matter to that person. My mother was a doer. She was probably the hardest working woman I've ever seen. She did so much. But she wasn't really able to communicate with eye contact. She just, she was always doing 
And it was hard for me to share my heart with her because I didn't feel like she was really listening. On the other hand, my we have, a, well, it's my husband's best friend. He is the best listener that I know. And when you're talking to him, you have the feeling that the house could burn down around you and he would still just be listening. And you know what? I love to talk to him. It's just such a gift to have that kind of focused attention. I heard this talk on um, the Gospel Coalition. It was by a man named Sam Chan about sharing the gospel. And he had some helpful hints for listening well. I loved this. I really learned a lot. Chan recommended using the phrase, tell me more. Tell me more. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that the way we want to be heard? Tell me more. Other open-ended questions might be, will you tell me about? or What are your thoughts on? What's the most important? How do you feel about? He also recommended taking a sip of whatever you are drinking when the other person ends, which indicates you're not just jumping back in, you just can't wait. You're giving them more space to talk. Isn't that beautiful? So just take a sip. We need to give each other space to talk. We need to wait patiently. Give that other person the time to think and speak what is really on their hearts. It isn't easy, but it's so important, such an important way to love others. And then it can be so beneficial to reflect back to them what we think we heard. Something like, it sounds like, or that makes me think, or if I understand you correctly, what you seem to be saying, what a gift it is to give someone your attention, your careful focus on both their words and their hearts, to show your intention to truly understand. Don't we all want to be listened to like that? Ask questions, lots of questions, which are helpful. But here's a basic question you might um, consider. Is this a good time? <laughs> What a kind thing to do to someone else. Haven't we all had that experience of being involved in something very important, very time sensitive, and someone comes up and just launches into a long story? So ask others, is this a good time? Do you have a minute for me to tell you something? And give them the space to go, you know, not right now, let's, let's meet after church. Just kindness and consideration for each other. Sometimes we just need to do the math. Let's say there are four women out for coffee for an hour, and if one woman talks for 50 minutes, that's not really fair, is it? Other women need the opportunity to talk. Now, I'm not talking about that situation where the woman's in crisis, and of course, there are times when she needs to talk. But in general, let me encourage you to do the math. Are you talking so much of the time that others who would like to share things don't have the opportunity? We all need to be better listeners. Number three, cultivate discretion. Cultivate discretion. You rarely regret things you did not say, but you often regret things you did say. Let people share their own news. Remember the harm that careless words can cause and seek to protect the reputation of others. Recently, I was reading in Luke, and I was struck by Luke 12, verses 2 and 3, where Jesus is warning against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he says, 
Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Again, sobering words. We have all had those times when we have said what we shouldn't say and when we have caused conflict between someone else and us. Let me tell you about a time that God protected me from an incredibly harmful indiscretion, and I am so grateful. It happened years and years and years ago, but I still remember it so clearly, and you'll understand why. When I was first married and just getting to know my in-laws, just forming that relationship, Um, one of my sisters and her family went on a camping trip and a thunderstorm came along and they needed a place to stay. They were near the the city where my in-laws live. They ended up um, going there in the middle of the night and my in-laws took incredible care of them, very hospitable, very kind. So my sister Jill called me to tell me about this the next morning. And she's going on and on about how kind the wares were and what they did and this and that. And and I am thinking, honestly, I remember to this day, I'm thinking in my mind, as soon as Jill takes a break, I am going to say to her, is she driving you crazy with all of her talking? Which just shows you where my heart was. And I'm waiting to tell her, because I know Jill's going to say, oh man, she does talk a lot. You know, I'm just waiting for that, that opportunity. And so Jill came to the end of her story, and I'm ready to say that, and I know the Lord redirected my tongue, because instead, what came out of my mouth was, isn't she sweet? And I was like, well, where did that come from? And right after I said, isn't she sweet, I heard a little giggle in the background, and realized that my mother-in-law was listening on the extension. Now, you youngsters, do you even know what an extension is? And if I had said what I had planned to say, I mean, the irreparable damage to my relationship with my mother-in-law, which actually turned out to be so sweet. I cannot tell you how much I love her and how much I miss her. And I, I, I mean, I could weep if I think of the hurt that would have caused. And not only that, but I would have just planted a seed of irritability in Jill, right? She may have been thinking, I think she was thinking, my mother-in-law's delightful. And then she went, oh, yeah, well, maybe she does. You know, we just, we have to be so careful. But here's the thing. God is on the extension. God hears everything we say. We need to cultivate discretion. Another way we need to cultivate discretion is to be careful about praising ourselves. It's rather off-putting to be around someone who is tooting their own horn all the time, isn't it? We tend to avoid such people, and we need to heed biblical wisdom here. Proverbs 27.2, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Again, this has just become so commonplace in our culture that it seems kind of normal, but it isn't. That's not what is important to the Lord. Another area that relates to discretion is to think through what is helpful and edifying as fits the occasion, as we read in Ephesians. There are times when it might be a fine thing to say in one setting, but maybe not in another setting. I think of prayer meetings at church. Sometimes in our prayer requests, things can be said that are just not appropriate. 
I mean, I, I'm old. I've been in a lot of prayer meetings. I've heard women share details about women's health issues, and you're just like, <laughs> sorry. This is, this is not the time or the place. You know, just a, a nice general prayer request will be much more edifying. Um, being indiscreet, talking too much, can open the door to a variety of sin. Exaggeration, lying, complaining, boasting, criticism, gossip, inappropriate words, how we need spirit-wrought self-control. Let's say a word about gossip. Uh, gossip has been defined as the art of confessing someone else's sin. <laughs> I also heard this. I think this is really helpful. Gossip is saying behind someone's back what you would never say to their face. And flattery is saying to their face what you would never say behind their back. Good reminders, aren't they? Gossip and flattery. These things ought not to be so. Again, let's be all of a piece women who say the same thing in every situation because we're speaking words that the Lord wants us to speak. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Whoever covers an offense, covers an offense, seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. On a guard against that kind of indiscretion. And Proverbs 10:19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains her lips is prudent. That's a good word. I don't think we use it enough. May God help us be discreet and restrained and prudent. Number four, cultivate balance. Cultivate balance. Remember that Christ was full of grace and truth. He is full of grace and truth. Pray for the courage to be honest to reprove when necessary, but always clothed in grace, forgiveness, and forbearance, and be humbly open to verbal critique from others. I think that there's, there is a spectrum of grace and truth, and most of us kind of tend toward one end or the other. You know, the grace people are like, it's okay, honey, whatever, you just go ahead. And the truth people are like, bam, 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 this is what God's word says. Christ is full of grace and truth. And as we grow in Christ's likeness, we become more balanced. We don't want to lose truth. Truth is our foundation of our faith. But we want to communicate truth in a way that gives grace appropriately. Think about truth. God is a God of truth. And he hates lying. And there are many ways we lie. We need to guard against deception and partial information and putting a spin on things, hyperbole and exaggeration. That's so easy to do. Just add a few details to make, to make the story more remarkable or funnier, right? But is it true? Is that what actually happened? Misleading, inconsistency, broken promises. These are all ways that we lie with our words. And then grace, as we reflect on the abundant grace and mercy that God has shown to us, it will encourage us to show grace and mercy to others. We've received this grace, this amazing grace from God. Let us show grace to others. Um, I want to mention fear of man because I think that is a whole area of sin that keeps us from speaking up and being honest. Again, so much to say. I'll just mention this briefly. But this need for approval, for others to approve of us, is deeply wired into us. 
But the gospel has the power to calm the quest for human approval, as I read in my study Bible. The gospel has the power to calm the quest for human approval. For in the gospel, we are given the full and free approval of God in Jesus. We are accepted and approved. We don't have to seek approval from others. Sometimes we can be too sensitive. <laughs> it, it seems as though you can't confront anyone without them feeling judged or, or being offended. And that keeps us from rightly confronting people in the appropriate situation. So, friends, we can, in, in most circumstances, we can choose to be offended and we can choose not to be offended. We need to grow in that area because we need each other. I think it's easy for us to look at the other person as in, uh, kind of my enemy or something I have to be careful of. I don't want them to, to know what's going on in my heart because if they do, they won't like me. I want them to approve of me. So you kind of keep at a distance. But the truth is, my sin is my enemy and I need your help to fight my sin. And you need my help to fight your sin. So we need to be open and honest and not be so easily offended. Um, there's so much I want to say. Um, Thomas Brooks says, Strong saints must stand unchangeably resolved neither to give offense carelessly nor to take offense costlessly. So we don't want to be careless. We don't want to offend Unnecessarily, but let's not look for offense when that's not the intent. We need each other to help us fight our sins. So when you are confronted, let me encourage you to resist dismissing it. Oh, there's nothing to that. Or devastation, being devastated by it, just being so brought low. Pray for discernment from the Lord. So don't dismiss it, don't be devastated. Pray for discernment from the Lord and seek to learn what he would have you learn in this, in this opportunity. A good rule of thumb here is to speak gracious truth to others and allow, even invite others to speak gracious truth to you. We need each other to fight our sin. Number five, cultivate joy. Celebrate with others when they receive good news. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rejoice in God's goodness to them even when it's challenging. Such a response helps us battle self-absorption, jealousy, and depression. It can be easier to weep with others than it is to rejoice with them, especially if they are rejoicing over something the Lord has given them that he has not chosen to give to us. It's something that we long for. But we need to be thinking very clearly here about God's sovereign purposes in each one of our lives. And he brings into each one of our lives and he withholds from our lives exactly what he knows will make us more like Christ. And that's going to look different for each one of us. God's work in your life will look different from God's work in your life and we want to guard against comparison. We'll be talking a lot more about that this afternoon. But the biggest obstacle to, um, to being joy filled with joy with others when God blesses them is often envy. 
it's often envy. We compare ourselves to others and we begrudge what God has given them. So we need to really think carefully about this. It is a sign of Christ-exalting maturity, of growth in Christ-likeness, to be able to rejoice with others in those situations. It is something we need to pray about a lot, to ask the Lord to remake our hearts that we could truly rejoice with our sisters in ways that God has blessed them. It's a huge component of gracious communication. Don't you see that? Think about conversations that you have had. We have a woman in our church named Cindy who has experienced the profound grief of repeated miscarriages, just a lot of grief. And for years, she was the woman who had the ministry of, of overseeing baby showers. And I just marveled at that, that the Lord was really working in her heart to help her rejoice with others, even in the midst of her personal grief. Just such an evidence of God's grace. Number six, cultivate charity. Cultivate charity. Give others the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Look for the good in what they are saying. Presume positive intentions. You know, only God can discern motives. <laughs> others and our own motives. We can trust him to deal with others. We don't have to figure out everything. What did she mean by that? Um, that's a challenge. Sometimes we think, oh, somebody must be mad at me. They walked by you in the hall at church and they didn't say anything. What did I do? Oh, dear. We don't know. We don't know. Don't presume the worst until you know that there is a problem. Just assume she has a lot on her mind. Maybe she didn't see me. Maybe she was praying. I don't know. We just, just assume the best about the other person. We don't want to be easily offended again. I love Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others, right? We've all said things we shouldn't say. Other people say things they shouldn't say. We've all ignored people, maybe unintentionally. Other people ignore us. Just get over it. It's not a big deal. Unless you know it is a big deal. If there is a problem between you and somebody else, talk to them about it. But otherwise, presume positive intentions. Another quote from Spurgeon. People who are very happy, especially those who are happy in the Lord, are, are not apt either to give or take offense. Again, let the opinion of other people or the way they're interacting with you, let it rest lightly on you. It doesn't need to, we don't need to give it that much weight. Remember, we have the approval of the Lord. We're not so dependent upon other people for their, uh, their approval. Another way that we can be charitable is to make sure that we're including everyone in a group conversation. It's easy to start engaging with some person about something that only they can relate to while another woman is standing right there feeling awkward because she can't contribute. She doesn't know what you're talking about. So let's be generous with our attention and our conversation and quick to include others. And then let's be careful about sarcastic humor that cuts others down. When we're, when we're in conversation with other people, with anyone, we want to watch that our words are charitable, not sarcastic and cutting down. How can our speech be reasonable, gentle, and gracious and charitable? Only as we entrust ourselves to our wise, loving, sovereign, 
holy, just, powerful, good, gracious God. We can rest in him. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to win every argument. We don't have to express every thought we have. We don't have to carry on with our opinions because they're probably the right thing. No, we don't have to express all that. We can rest in him. God is God and we are not. So may our hearts love and trust him and may our mouths reflect that quiet rest. May he be glorified. May others be edified. And may we be exhibiting the precious fruit of the Spirit, all by his grace, for our good and to the glory of our great God and Savior. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the glorious truth that we see in your word, ways in which we long for our, our tongues to be corrected and adjusted, that, they might, that we might all grow in our words by your spirit. Lord, give us spirit-wrought self-control. Give us a deep and abiding love for others. Help us to rejoice with others. Help us to receive correction from others. Help us to restrain our lips when needed. Help us to listen well and help us to rest in Christ. We pray all this uh, for your glory and for our good in Christ's name. Amen.